You're listening to Experience Imagination, a themed entertainment design podcast presented by Falcons Creative Group. Every episode, we discuss a new topic with a panel of creative professionals. Hi, I'm Cecil McPurry, President and Chief Creative Officer of Falcons. Hey everyone, this is Abhinav Narayan. I'll be the moderator for our first episode where we're talking about designing for reality. Cecil, uh, could you go ahead and tell us a little bit more about who we'll be hearing in this discussion with us? The perfect candidates for this discussion will be uh, Mike Wallace, our creative director, who is involved from beginning to end. Hello. As well as Scott Miller, who is really involved with getting the project out of the ground and all the way to opening. Yeah, it's great to be here. Great. Well, let's go ahead and get started with our discussion. So to start off the conversation, I wanted to ask just to really help us define a baseline of everything that we're going to be talking about. In your own words, for all of you, what embodies a successful design in a themed space? I immediately think about it's only successful when a consumer who's engaged with the space is getting what we wanted them to get. There is, there is right? definitely I a subjective quality to it. can't imagine anything else other than that litmus test. Well, there's, there's that at, at a post-opening standpoint, but I think from the, the process, when I'm looking at something from the studio, <clears throat> even before it goes out into the world, success is maintaining the original intent all the way through design, not losing mm-hmm. what you started out to do because of budget, X. schedule, whatever it is that whatever happens to get is. in the way. Or misinterpretation. Right. And that's something that I think we've been successful at, is making sure that we're all on the same page. Because <laughs> what's interesting is you could put a color palette out there, the color red, and say, is this red to you? Is this red to you? Is this red to you? And you recognize ultimately that there's so many variable opinions of what red is, right? Yeah. And so that's just a literal color. Imagine of story that revolves around some hero and you're trying to create this hero's journey that is some kind of filtered uh, process, a methodology or an arc that you're trying to tell. Look at the variable interpretations of that. So right. one of the things we've been good about, I think, in, is to communicate clearly within ourselves what is the main tenets of our story and how do we maintain it? And, and more importantly, how does that translate into the physical environment from a design standpoint and a physical standpoint? Because the handoff from what Mike would do from a master plan, which is designing a whole park or a whole resort, all the way to the attraction, the whole uh, efforts of that has different arcs. There's an arc for the guest experience to go to the master plan versus the attraction within a component of that. And then it hands off to actually execution. So when Scott's touching it, What's the most important thing that he has to quality control yeah. the handoff from the design? Even even bringing people all the way through design, I think that's one of the benefits of the size of studio that we have, mm-hmm. is that everybody is involved from initial concept all the way to an opening through executive production and whatnot, so that everybody that was exposed to the original idea is still there at the end. That there's is no, unique, there's no it? risk of, oh, I have to now hand this off and somebody else gets to take it and do whatever. Back to the question of creating successful design, mm-hmm. it that's imperative to follow the tenets of the design, as you've mentioned earlier, mm-hmm. for me to understand those and to clearly be able to communicate those to us, to vendors and to workers and to all these these field representatives of our design that are going to go in there and drive the nails into the wood. Right, and all different disciplines. All different disciplines and possibly in foreign countries. 
and speak different languages. So this is a it's, it's a very it's a very I don't know. I want to say fulfilling, but it's mm-hmm. it's almost like you Profound. have to fulfill the design. Yeah, you have to really grasp that design and kind of own it inside, and yeah, then you, you and have then to know push, it in your bones, right? and then push yeah. it out and <laughs> with, push it out with everybody. knowing it inside and out. How do you know what's the right thing to, to manage? To well, to <laughs> invariably cut or or pay articulate, more. yeah, right, yeah. Yeah. or even communicate, yeah, yeah. or what right. you have to because there's always you have to make field calls, right, right. Mm-hmm. So how do you make that keeping the design in mind, keeping that in your heart, and saying no, 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 that's that's this is not that era for that. Mm-hmm. You know, it's interesting you say language. You know, you're saying language in the sense of, you know, different countries. I'm saying the language to speak to a mechanical, electrical, plumbing, civil. Across just different they disciplines. They have different languages. Mm-hmm. So how do you communicate something that is touchy-feely, creative, and emotionally driven to a, a civil engineer or, or an ironworker? Iron yeah. Yeah. yeah, who's a, yeah. Right? Yeah. You have to now articulate how to talk their language yeah. Yeah. and get what you want. That's something that I find appealing when I when I go in the field with Scott. He he's like the the construction whisperer, <laughs> you know. He knows how to articulate. He 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 simplifies stuff for those who he's communicating to, and can articulate the thing. And it may be different than what I'm envisioning because I would communicate. I would overly communicate what my needs are the because because I'm. Right. I mean, I'm yeah, talking architecture language yeah. while well, he's talking steelworker language, mm-hmm. right. but he's getting what he wants. Maybe you could talk a little bit about saying, that. And, and he has the ability to yell at everyone and have them still love him. <laughs> <laughs> well, not exactly. But, but um, yeah, that comes with learning from other people and learning from iron workers and learning from electricians. You take that knowledge in. It goes this way, too. It goes right? this way, too. And yeah. you say, okay, go up to this worker or this team of people and you say, you know, this is what we really need and empower them to create this design. Mm-hmm. Even once you give it to them a little bit, then they grasp it and then it becomes their own they all start yeah. hitting you with ideas and wow. start giving you great so, things to... there's something to be said about ownership right oh, yeah. yeah the sense of ownership is going to get you so, so much further instead that. of just saying drive that nail in you know yeah. you got to yeah. say this is what we want to build in the scenic pieces because now they become another layer of quality control and mitigating risk in the field because you've taught them you've given them and the fishing them. pole right not right. just right. so <laughs> that 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 becomes a huge part of it so I, one thing I'm really glad that we got to this topic so organically, because further down on my list of the questions I wanted to ask was, I did want to discuss what that process is like, what that significant milestone is like as we start moving from a concept design to a more detailed design. And we've talked a lot about the kind of the obstacles that are in that way from mm-hmm. a communication standpoint, a language standpoint, even this sense of ownership. There's a psychological component to it that we've been talking about. I. I want to flip the question on its head a little bit, though, and ask, when that happens, what kind of opportunities arise that maybe something that, you know, suddenly something that you couldn't envision until you started to see it in this tangible way? Does that ever happen at all? Oh, I'm sure. Um, Yes. I mean, I think the answer is yes. I think I'm a little jaded in the sense that (laughs) those opportunities are fewer. Fewer and far between. Yeah. I mean, to be candid, I don't want those kind of opportunities. Because, you know, there's, means, there's, yeah. there's schedule and budget involved with every project. It's not like an art piece where you want uh, nice accidents to happen. <laughs> you know what I mean? That, I think, for self-expression is great. 
in design, it still it has to meet certain criteria. So theoretically, in my mind, the the tighter the design is, the tighter we have in our mind and in our instructions to build. Right, that's our design package. The more clear and articulate it is for everyone, the better. There's an efficiency in material and and mm, uh, on assembly side. fabrication stuff. That, oh, that's good. Yeah. That was. Let's just that. Yeah. That was what I always found. You know, in my my facility design management days, where I would go and here's a new guy in the field, and he's come out and he just saw this way of doing something, and the detail that I had drawn from. You know, three years ago, the last time that I had to do this kind of windowsill or this kind of, of attachment, he said, oh, and there's this new thing, this new adhesive, and we can do it this way and this new material. And all of a sudden, what I thought was going to be really expensive or take a whole lot of time there's is some... now super simple, and we can devote some of that energy elsewhere, something yeah. else that may have been struggling. Taking too long, yeah. yeah. Mm-hmm. I could see that. So those, those yeah. happen From more often. From a fabrication often than... standpoint. I wanted to take a moment to talk about just the past 10 or 15 years and how you know things have changed, either from a design standpoint or what has not changed in the design. You know, what, what are those universal codes that have proven to be true about design? And what has changed perhaps from a fabrication standpoint or maybe even an operational standpoint? There's, a, there's an old guard, if you will, in theme park design. Especially, I mean, where where I came from, the the same guys who built the first park are still there, mm-hmm. you know. And it's they had a way of doing things. They hand drafted everything was giant drawing sets and whatnot. And that's that's the language that they understand. That's the kind of design that they need to see at milestones and things like that to understand where the design is going or is it going in the correct direction. Just in the last maybe ten years or so of my career, I started off hand drafting, and now. You know, if I don't have a, a digital tablet in front of me, I just can't get the ideas out at the pace of design and construction. You know, everybody wants to capitalize on whatever current pop culture phenomenon is. And if it takes you 10 years to hand draft an attraction or a land and get it built, you've missed your window. You know, the, the attention span of the yeah. world is... You, you can't you got, play anymore. Yeah, you have, if you, you have, have read that, those phase. kids have grown. Yeah. Yeah. You have three or four years to get something from your head to where people are on it yeah. or experiencing it. So, so to follow up on that is, is it purely about just the amount of time that it it takes to do something on one I of think the that's newer a tools? Force mm-hmm. to motivate change in process. Yeah, is the demand. But I think time, right? I mean, if you look at some of the historical parks that were built, you know, common schedules were 48 months to 52 months to realize, you know, these experiences. We get projects that want to get built in nine months. I mean, it's, it's, it's crazy because it's a significant cut in time for the same type of experiences. And in, in, in my history, my instincts were like, these guys are crazy. There's just no way, I, I, friggin' way, um, <laughs> that these guys can do that. I'm the expert. I know how these are done. There's just no way. And then all of a sudden, I'm walking through the park and experiences, and they built it in nine months. So I've never considered myself a naysayer or negative. Or, negative yeah. or I was using a realistic outlook from my history and past on how things get done. Yes, there's huge compromises that has happened, you know, when they went that fast, you know, and I don't know if you've ever seen, I saw it on YouTube where they, someone drew a Spider-Man 
the character in ten minutes, and then they're have, asked yeah. to do it. They're asked to do it in five, five minutes, minutes, and then in one minute. In one minute, and you could see the degradation in quality, right? But again, these were built environments to code, and guests were enjoying it and paying, and they did it in a compressed time. Ultimately, there's going to be a happy medium. What it taught me was. Don't underestimate how time has progressed and things can happen faster, which means we, as an institution, have to realize things can and will be faster. I can, I can see a good and a bad to this. The, the good is that it has facilitated the production of software that helps us immensely, mm -hmm. stuff mm -hmm. like Revit, uh, building information modeling, that kind of thing, where now yeah. Yeah. I know exactly where that pipe and that steel and where these things are going to impact, and I've given everybody the amount of room that they need before they even get in the field. With technology progressing, it's allowed it to actually be used, where you can actually work in a 3D environment and in the virtual world right. and help mitigate risk in the field. That carries off into the field in a lot of good ways, similar where you were going, Mike, is that once you know what's in that that coordinated drawing space, like that space up, up above or in the coordinated drawings, mm -hmm. and you can say, well, you're, you know, the, this intersection has already been dealt with. You're doing it the wrong way, or this is the right way, and it saves a ton of time and a ton of mistakes and compromises to the what the show needs to be, exactly. other than what the HVAC needs to be. I yeah. mean, we were talking about how technology progresses, but integration drawings yeah. is yeah. a key part of our process. And you talk about process, the, the more integrated and more fleshed out where we're trying to forecast any interface issues, that is, I think, something that is unique in our industry because the disciplines that we use is not a traditional architectural disciplines. You know, we're usually dealing from an architectural standpoint, you know, AE, mechanical, electrical, plumbing, civil, structural, right? These are things that are common in building a hospital or an office building. But we have to add pyrotechnics and show action pieces and <laughs> overhead and media and projection cones and you know, audio. audio. All, all while dealing with like a, a 10 times factor of safety that a normal building doesn't have to deal exactly. with. Exactly. <laughs> We're putting stresses, vertical stresses on guests, you know, lateral stresses on guests because we're putting on coasters that are spinning. I mean, so all of a sudden, we're taking what would typically be this the foundation of a, a build and adding all these additional disciplines. We're almost forensic designers, <laughs> if you think about it. We're constantly creating and having to recreate based on new information and come back and reinvent. Design never stops. It's constant throughout the process until everything is built and the keys are handed to operations. And then still, sometimes there's yeah. reaction. <laughs> right. Sometimes. right. We talked about the languages before, specifically you know, between disciplines, but there's also that obvious tenant of actual languages. I, I wanted to <laughs> talk to, uh, especially get your thoughts on this, Scott, about uh, you know, being in the field and having mm -hmm. to speak those different interdisciplinary languages mm -hmm. Through different languages. But with, exactly. <laughs> this is inception. <laughs> languages language within on top languages. of a language within well, a language. a lot of things, again, it goes back to observing. In some countries, and I, you know, I've, I've worked in a lot of different countries. In some countries, the workers don't work well in bigger groups. They work well in smaller groups. And they don't, some countries, they don't want to be, a, there's nobody in the group wants to be a leader. So you have to appoint one person who's not necessarily, you can't really say that he's a leader, but you're the one I'm going to talk to, and I want you to communicate what I'm saying to everybody else. Mm -hmm. So that has to be a smaller group or a bigger group, but you have to 
observe how this all works when you get to this country or you get to this place of a country. And once you observe and you watch how well they work, if you go and just broadcast and just yell and they, they don't understand what you're saying, either by your hand motions or by your language or by anything, then you're just wasting your time. You shut them down. You shut them down and they just get, you know, not angry necessarily, but, you know, passe about everything. They just don't care. So you need to figure out what that is and that's how you need to start get that message across to these people. So, and then you, and then, because you also got to understand, you're going to be speaking in the most places through an interpreter. So not only do you need to understand, and the interpreter needs to understand, and it needs to be simple enough for him to say what you've just said to those people. So it can't be complicated. It can't be difficult. And it's got, it takes time. But once you set that standard and they know it. They learn it. And once they know that, then you don't have to explain that to them next time. You just explain how to do this a little bit better. A little That's bit an interesting. I, I, I've never heard that, you know, no. described. I, I've seen you do it, but I've never really saw how you broke it down. But it's interesting. It's it's almost like um, tribal yes. approach. <laughs> you're, you're creating a, a, a team of attacking a task. Right. You know, you're starting to see the hierarchy. You're creating hierarchy. You create Because yeah. in the United States, you have foremen and supervisors and superintendents and electrical engineers, electric, electricians, and, you know, the, the structure's you set up. you got smart labor. you yeah, got grunt got, labor. Yeah. You have different facets. And the right? structure's set up. So you can talk to this foreman, and you know he's going to disseminate what you need. In other countries, they're not set up that way. They haven't been to trade school, necessarily. They, mm-hmm. Some have, but some, some haven't. They, not, they, they don't necessarily know what you mean, and they don't necessarily have the physical tools to do the work. So you then need to empower them either by giving them the physical tools and the, and the knowledge to do what it is you need them to do and to understand their own culture. To that point, I always used to joke on big projects that the bulk of my work was in Sharpie on the the bare walls of a space. Or a no piece doubt. of scrap wood or yeah, whatever like, you could find. Oh yeah. my Every, gosh. Everything that I've done in my career has been covered up by something else <laughs> at some point. You know, it but, is so funny. I, I, I want to, you know, you know, Twister was closed. Um, I think it was two years now. But I, I wanted to go back and do a tour. Uh, you know, I wish I could have before they demoed it because the amount of drawings behind all those scenic... I mean, oh, we yeah. were problem-solving so much... With Sharpie. I mean, not Absolutely. the little bl- tiny Sharpie. We're talking a big, fat Oh, Sharpie. wow. Okay. <laughs> you know, the big Sharpie that looks like a sword. Permanent bazooka. <laughs> you know? <laughs> we were solving a lot. You know, the forced perspective gags and stuff. Even though we were diligent about designing a package, there's so much that's involved in the interface in the field that you, you start to ha- have to use that canvas of opportunities to communicate. Yeah. Drawings communicate. I mean, maybe that's why the... The wall drawings yeah, back, in the, in the, back in the day so effective. is so effective. Yeah. You, you could grunt and just point at the buffalo to kill. Right. <laughs> Food. Yeah. Yeah. Arrow. Cross, cross-cultural there. The, the, yeah, yeah. The and you do. Drawings. And that's another thing that works in the field, not just drawing, but having pictures of what you um, have done in the past and other projects. And, and, you know, not just drawings of what we need to build, but pictures of some actual things that have happened. It just opens up. Like you can imagine if you were in a country trying to do work and you didn't speak the language of the guy telling you what to do, and all of a sudden he showed you a picture of something that was very similar then the lights come on, oh, you yeah. know, the lights come on. So that's important to share. <laughs> I remember trying to give them, in one country, I was trying to give them a tool, a list of tools that they needed to have, 
right? Mm -hmm. So I put down sledgehammer, I put down this, I put down that, I put down all the list of the tools, all the gun, nail guns and all that stuff. They had no clue. I showed them all the pictures of the things. And they knew exactly what we needed because yeah. at first I just wrote it They've down. They've been exposed yeah. to it. And as soon as, as, soon as they, they see know. a sledgehammer, they know exactly what it is. But, you know, so it's that kind of stuff that you have to hopefully not learn the hard way like I did. But <laughs> just, you know, generally think and th from their point of view. One of the most universal ways, I think, to get your point across or to gain acceptance, I think, in a new place or new culture with a new team, even if it's within your own country, is to not not ever ask for something that you're incapable of doing. Mm -hmm. Good point. That's, that's yeah. one of the things that I try to tell myself on a daily basis. Almost, that's a very that Mike thing. <laughs> you're very I, capable well, of I, a lot, though. <laughs> so that's, right. that's an I, interesting... I would never want to go to somebody that is having to work for me or with me or whatnot and ask them to do something that I was physically unable to do myself. Mm -hmm. So if if that is understood from the beginning, it's like, look, I'm... I need your help from a time standpoint or from a, a, an efficiency standpoint. Yeah, I, bandwidth. Yeah, this it could be done, but you're able to help me do it better, faster, whatever that is. Immediately you have the ownership instilled and a, a level of confidence in the people that are giving you direction that mm -hmm. goes so far. No doubt. When approaching a design at the early stages, how do we keep the guest experience in mind? How do we protect it? How do we protect it and mm, how do that's we a good question. how do we define it right at the beginning so that Scott can protect it in the field or that the artist can protect it as they're moving forward? Uh, first thing I would say is experience as many of those things as you can. If you've been out and around enough to see good and see bad and you may not be able to articulate why it's good or why it's bad, but you have a feeling if you're in a space that somebody else has created what it, what works or what doesn't. Starting from there and knowing I want to create a space like this, I want to evoke an emotion like this, that's, that's in the back of your head. But then there's a layering of metrics that are pretty standard to the industry behind that. You know, how wide is a road? How tall is a building? How how big is a trash can? How far, you know, how far does my bench need to be from this? That, and maybe even some other ancillary ones yeah. like how far does a clap herd, you know? <laughs> right. And how, how far do you feel heat from an explosion, you know? Yeah. I mean, these are weird metrics, right? That we have, the more knowledgeable you are about these really funky metrics, mm -hmm. The, the the better you are at sculpting what you want to get out of the guest, you know, mm -hmm. uh, as an end experience. It's it's envisioning it early on. I think that's a big yeah. part of it. And you, and, can, and you, can take, you can take things that have been done before and build directly onto them. Take the good aspects of something and, and eliminate the bad. So if I had, you know, a, a plan from a park that I had in my head 10 years ago and I knew that this one little piece of it was fantastic and turned out beautifully. I want to take those same proportions and some of those same metrics and apply them to what I'm doing mm -hmm. now because I know it was successful even if it's a different IP or if it's a completely different theme in a different country, however it may, may fall out. But that's that's where I start. Mm -hmm. And then that's, that's like day one in master planning. That can help to inform the next layer. That can inform the story. That can inform the writer. That can inform the concept artist from there where they're not having to pull things out of thin air. They can look at a rough napkin sketch or a plan that was done in a couple of hours and say, oh, I can talk about how this flows to here and I can highlight this attraction or this plaza or this whatever it may be. 
and it starts to just compound on itself and and the good will always rise up out of it you know mm-hmm. like, <laughs> yeah <laughs> and i think that's something that's good here is you know the the trust in communicating opinion you know it's not to hammer you down and defeat you it's to elevate you you know we oftentimes ask ourselves and and the sounding board i think this is a good example when we design we're throwing out things that are from our heart and our minds on what we think could be uh, an experience for the guest that's really spectacular and so but we're not we're not so um, fragile to hear opinion you know you know that doesn't really work because look this experience here and this experience there you know we're, we reference a lot of existing experiences in in our industry and things that are not from a consumer standpoint yeah you know so we're constantly filtering things of our own personal experience to to kind of challenge and and or accentuate or highlight our our vision and you you can immediately tell if something that you did was arbitrary if the first time somebody asks you about it and you have no defense no answer <laughs> for why it was there it's like oh that, that was there because i needed to fill in this part of the paper mm-hmm. <laughs> versus no that's here because it reinforces this and it leads people to here and and you know it it's an instant tell. That process leads to efficiency because it starts to hone everybody's instincts to where the first two or three things that you draw, the first things that come out of your head, tend to be some of the best and some of the most useful versus having to iterate That's pretty for, for hundreds of times in the hope that one of them is okay and somebody else tells you it's right. Mm-hmm. You, know, you, you know instinctually just because you've had this process, you've had to defend your work over and over and over again it's it starts to become natural to you and i also think that we're not so set in our ways cuz we talk about you know this groove and and the process but we're always putting ourselves in check you know right. and and uh and thinking differently so we don't find hey i'm a professional i know what i'm doing this is yeah. the only way <laughs> this is the right way it's been done for years and this is how it should be. No, we're constantly challenging that too. I think that's that's the most dangerous phrase ever. So we've exactly. always done it this way. Yeah, it's a very oh, dangerous man. phrase. And we hear that from our clients, our clients saying, "Hey, we chose you because you guys are open to our ideas." We've hired other people and that told us, you know, "Hey, you don't know what you're doing. Hire us because we know what we're doing." Mm-hmm. And some of these clients have run parks for decades and they're being told that they're doing it all wrong even though they've had a <laughs> business model that's been successful and they're asking for refinement not you know wholesale changes a reinvention, right? a reinvention and I think that's something that's really refreshing for us that we do a lot of work internationally mm-hmm. and we tend to be humble in respecting those developers in those regions and listen we're good listeners you know we don't dictate we 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 collaborate i wanted to ask a slightly weird question but i'm i'm very curious as to how you'll answer it what in your past experience has been your favorite failure i can think of two just specific detail failures that came up to bite me um one time I, I was taking over a master plan that somebody else had been working on for 10 months. Wow. And I was tasked with, hey, this this doesn't work quite right. 
you know, regenerate, think think about it from a new perspective, whatever it was. And I laid this thing out and I flipped the bus turnaround and I did all this stuff and, oh man, this is perfect, it's great. And I did a model of it and I drew it and I colored it and all this presentation work and I have it all up on the wall and the first person who walks in goes, hey, you know people get out of buses on the right side, right? <gasps> Like I, 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 I had been mirroring and flipping and doing all this stuff and had this thing that I thought was perfect and everybody was getting out and like walking into the street. <laughs> I was going again, right. right? It's the it's filtering yeah. through. Everybody the leave. I'll start again. Yeah, that, that's putting that's on the putting on the POV yeah. lens. And we, yeah, every step of the way. Yeah. yeah, we did a, uh, an install of handrail, and I thought I was going to save all this money and time and and embed this removable handrail in asphalt true asphalt and five minutes into guests being able to touch it it was leaning over at 45 degrees yeah. <laughs> i'm just like ah oh, no i wish i had thought it. about you know actually sleeves putting some kind of foundation and sleeve something in there yeah 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 there's a little performer in me you know where i i, I like to act out and so in i channel my 12 year old consumer Constantly, when I look at this, whatever we're creating, I, I pretend like I'm the consumer absorbing the information, being ignorant to the whole backstory and everything, and just literally walking through and role playing, and that's when I think we're constantly catching things like this. Yeah, and you got to be okay with that process. Yeah, you know it's going to happen. Whereas you know you try for a certain effect that hasn't been done before, and it's not going to work the first time. You know you got to be okay with that, and have your own internal process of how to fix it and how to move forward and how to share it how to get the whole team involved and when you get everybody involved even the workers involved with it some of the best ideas i've had to fix things for craziest effect comes from a carpenter oh why don't you just do this yeah 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 no <laughs> okay doubt. that's a pretty good idea <laughs> that's really cool. you know and i take the credit for it <laughs> <laughs> no i'm joking yeah those are great lessons how you though. learn but it's yeah it's those those things where if you weren't out there in the field and having to make that call you'd at, make that detail morning, over and over again yeah until, until you until you went yeah. out to the field to see it happen go exactly bad or, and then when it does important. go bad you never forget no that. way no, no. never no way. Again. never gonna be that guy again exactly <laughs> okay. i think that about wraps it up yeah all right well thank you guys thank you. this is awesome yeah it's great thank all you right. very much we want to thank our three panelists for joining us on today's discussion we also want to thank all of you for listening in on our first episode we'll see you in the next one this has been Experience Imagination. For more information about this episode's discussion, be sure to visit our blog at falconscreativegroup.com. And don't forget to follow Falcons Creative Group on LinkedIn, Facebook, and Instagram. We'll see you next time. Thanks. <laughs>